This is a conspiracy. That's what this is. One big damn conspiracy! And everyone's in on it! I know what's going on. Did IQs just drop sharply while I was away? person is smart. People are dumb, panicky, dangerous animals, and you know it. Did you see the memo about this? Just when I think you couldn't possibly be any dumber, you go and do something like this. Don't you see what this means? G'day guys, welcome back for a bonus episode for you all. Today I'm dropping my little appearance with Julia from Cosmic Peach for her monthly breakdown shakedown. That's right, I was lucky enough to join Julia for another breakdown of a fantastic film franchise, this time the Aliens franchise. This one's near and dear to both Julia and I's heart. We absolutely love these films, but it's filled with so much esoteric and occultic symbolism. So much even biblical references that I found in these ones, which was really crazy. Especially the older films. Like, a lot of people know that Prometheus and Covenant sound very biblical or esoteric in nature. But the older films have it hidden in plain sight, as they always are. Anyway, check this episode out, guys. When Julie and I get together, we drop absolute fire, and this one is no different. So sit back, grab a coffee, put your feet up, and enjoy this bonus episode. All right, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another Breakdown Shakedown. On this episode, we have the one and only Drew Missing from your Missing the Point podcast back again. And he crushes it every time. And I'm sure this time will be no different. Drew, how are you? I'm great, Julia. I'm a repeat offender at this point, aren't I? You are. Yeah. Yeah. I should fingerprint you at this point. <laughs> but right, so, yeah. Yeah, so we are back again. Um, and we are actually deep diving on a little personal favorite of both of ours, the Alien franchise. Mm-hmm. And how this interconnects with particularly Ridley Scott's work around the film The Exodus. And a lot of actual biblical references. Never in my wildest dreams would I have expected that I'd be using the good book to break down the alien franchise films. And there's so much to it. It's actually quite insane how much is in there. And you're a fantastic researcher. So I know that you put a lot of time into this and I've been watching Prometheus and Covenant. And there are so many biblical references that are in your face, but some very subtle that you have to look for the deeper meaning. and. I first fell in love with Alien from the second movie, actually. Aliens, plural. (laughs) (laughs) That was my favorite one as a kid because of Bill Paxton. I loved his character. 
And uh, I don't know what's before we get into the biscuits and gravy, which one is your favorite? Uh, Aliens, the James Cameron film. It has to be mine. He brought in the stereotypical American action shoot 'em up film and brought mm-hmm. that whole alien franchise into the mainstream. Movement. What's the position? Uh, can't lock in. Talk to me, Hudson. Uh, multiple signals. They're closing. I got signals. I got readings in front and behind. Where, man? I don't see shit. He's right. There's nothing back here. Look, I'm telling you, there's something moving in. It ain't us. They're coming out of the wall. They're coming out of the goddamn wall. What the fuck? Alien in itself was a bit of a cult classic at the time, but James Cameron really brought it into the mainstream with that film. Mm-hmm. Of course he did. He's such an occultist anyways. Isn't he, right? <laughs> exactly. Yes. Um, so I know we decided we weren't going to get into Alien versus Predator, but I do really like the first one of those. I just want to say honorable mentions before we get started. <laughs> I really do love the first Alien versus Predator. Yeah, that, that kind of brings about the whole idea of the alien interventionist theory where aliens taught humans how to build all these monolithic structures. But, you know, that's too much to go down today. We've got enough meat and potatoes to dig into, which is the alien right. franchise by itself. Now, you freely admit to detonating the engines of and thereby destroying an M-class star freighter, a rather expensive piece of hardware. $42 million in adjusted dollars. That's minus payload, of course. The lifeboat's flight recorder corroborates some elements of your account in that for reasons unknown, the Nostromo set down on LV-426, an unsurveyed planet at that time, that it resumed its course and was subsequently set for self-destruct by you for reasons unknown. Not for reasons unknown. I told you. We sat down there on company orders to get this thing, which destroyed my crew and your expensive ship. The analysis team, which went over the lifeboat centimeter by centimeter, found no physical evidence of the creature you described. Good. That's because I blew it out of the goddamn airlock. Like I said. Are there any species like this hostile organism on LV-426? No, it's a rock. No indigenous life. Did IQs just drop sharply while I was away? Ma'am, I already said that it was not indigenous. It was a derelict spacecraft. It was an alien ship. It was not from there. Do you get it? Yeah, so where do we begin, Drew? I think we need to recognize that the film series, really, it's all about transhumanism, bioengineering, false gods, the creation of mankind, and the alien itself the xenomorph was brought to life by the late hr geiger's artistic works which in itself are this biomechanical psychosexual really nightmare fuel that haunts our dreams of everyone today has ever seen the films mm-hmm. now like the alien itself is so unique and twisted i don't think anyone who's ever seen it hasn't had a nightmare or thought unnerving thoughts when seeing them very much so acid for their blood and the skull, the long, creepy the elongated skull. skull, right? Yes. Yeah. There's a lot of and, references going on there. And the little mouth that comes out. <laughs> it's just too much. It's such a classic. 
It is. Um, and I think for the time that it was made, and like you said, you alluded to earlier, you've been watching a lot of the later films, which on their face are very overtly um, biblical or religious in nature. But a lot of the earlier films were as well, which I had no idea about as a fan. I've watched these multiple times in my life. Mm-hmm. And only after going through the Old Testament myself and reading that lately, I'm noticing connections in the older films. And it starts off, of course, with Ridley Scott's debut film of the Alien franchise, Alien. So this one, it's I think it's a metaphorical um, representation that the Xenomorph stands in for the destruction of life. They find uh, a derelict planet with a derelict spaceship with all these eggs everywhere. And we know what eggs mm-hmm. are symbolic of and the esoteric. And it goes into this space horror type of a sci-fi film, but the alien itself is almost a stand-in out of the adversary that we see in the Bible or what later became known as Satan. Like this, this creature that's constantly after these people on this ship is very much representative of pure evil amongst all these people that are on this tiny little spaceship floating around mm-hmm. in space. I think that there are some archetypes there, even with the characters. I think that we were getting our first taste test of what AI was going to become with the, I forget what they call them. They're like cyborgs. The synthetics. Synthetics. Yes. Yes. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) The synthetics. And, you know, I feel like they did kind of sexualize the synthetics in the new ones like prometheus and covenant they sure did which is very fucking sick and twisted because think about that like they're a synthetic person with wax for blood but they're somehow they think that they love the main characters they think that they care about them but they really don't I, they don't understand what love is because they're they can't comprehend that because that's from God. Yes, and we don't really get the the full context or the background around the synthetics until the later works of the Alien franchise by Ridley Scott. We kind of just see these as just your stereotypical androids, but the hypersexualization of them, their blood looks like cum. I'm just going to say it. it's really it gross. does. It's yes. white liquid cum blood, right? Yep. Yeah. Even Kinda the stretchy. way. In- Yes, and even the way the first um, synthetic in the film tries to kill people, he rolls up a magazine, tries to shove it down Ripley's throat. Yes. Which Mm -hmm. is very hypersexualized in that nature. But yes, you're right. You've got these almost inverted ideas of man creating their own form of air quotes life that are presented in this way. But you also have to think about the main character in this entire franchise. Everything is built around Alan Ripley. You have to look at the name meaning behind Alan. Alan literally means in Greek, shining light. So throughout this entire franchise, she is the the stereotype of the hero and she's the shining light that saves humanity throughout this entire franchise. I love it when you do the names. (laughs) Well, here's another one. I ripped that idea off of you just recently. I totally gave you credit though. (laughs) No worries. (laughs) (laughs) But go ahead. Yeah. Well, you look at another one of the, this is the only other major character that I found in there with some of that transhumanist links. Do you remember Lambert, the only other female crew member on the Nostromo? Was she the, the one with the head, short hair? The short blonde haired girl. Well, it turns out if you look on Alien, Aliens, this is the one we both like, the second film, 
they're going through all the crew that have been deceased and they go to her. So they go to this character, Lambert. And if you freeze frame it and zoom in, it gives a breakdown of her, this character's history. And I'll read it out for you. Lambert, female crew member, is actually a trans woman in the storyline. On the display screen, Lambert can be seen with these details. And it's air quotes. Subject is Despin Convert at birth, male to female. So far, no indication of suppressed trauma related to the gender alteration. And this, chills. and this is in 1979 they're pushing the trans agenda and we had no idea about it oh it's because they're tapped into some shit yes so much despin is the planet she comes from despin in greek means lady and on this little detail you see on this little promonitor that you have to really zoom in on it says the planet despin has a five to one male ratio on the planet for unknown reasons so the government of this planet just randomly assigns genders to little boys as they're born to create more females for the population. Oh my God. We're not even five minutes in and you're crushing it, Drew. <laughs> Holy shit. So we've got this, this is where the transhumanist thing really kicks in. Not only do we see the overt stuff around these biomechanical creatures, humans trying to create life that lives forever, these synthetic humans, we're seeing the trans agenda, the precursor to what transhumanism is that we know as conspiracy theorists. This is happening throughout the entire franchise and I'll break it down later, a bit deeper. Hey Vasquez, have you ever been mistaken for a man? No, have you? <laughs> oh Vasquez. So we've got this lady Lambert, who's a transgender person that we don't know about. How she dies in the director's cut is very sexualized. Xenomorph puts its spiked tail right up through her man-made vagina up inside her and kills her, like rapes her to death. Serves her right. Right? (laughs) (laughs) That is so crazy. It's unbelievable the amount of things that are in these films. And this is just the first one. The last little thing I want to hint at for the Alien film, like we can go, people have seen this. It's an old film. It's fantastic. The Cat Named Jonesy. So there's nothing overly amazing about the name, but a lot of people would know in the esoteric and and the spiritual realm, cats are our spiritual protectors. Dogs protect us in the physical world. Cats protect us in the spiritual. Jonesy the cat is never killed by the alien, even though it's given multiple opportunities to kill it. It's Ripley's cat. Ripley's the one that survives. And throughout the entire film, the cat is the spiritual protection for Ripley because the alien in itself is not entirely physical. It's also a demonic spiritual entity in itself. Oh my gosh. That makes me think of the mummy with Brendan Fraser. Right, And he, yeah. Emotep fears the cat. <laughs> and they're like, he will fear the cat until it's fully regenerated. And it's like, yeah, well... There's so many gods who have like cat heads or dog yes. heads. And I think that's going back to maybe some ancient beliefs as well. Definitely. There's especially a lot of the ancient Egyptian type of um, theology and ideas that the cat is that intermediary between our realm and the next realm. Yeah. But the mm-hmm. cat even appears in the second film and the whole time the cat is in that cryogenics tube with Ripley at her feet, <laughs> protecting her as she's sleeping. Um and you see it in that next film as well. So the cat is yes. a big symbol in this film, the film franchise rather. 
All right. Aliens, our favorite one. 1986, where James Cameron took over, made it an action shoot it up film. Fantastic piece of work. I only need to know one thing where they are. Anytime, anywhere. Right, right. Somebody said alien. She thought they said illegal alien and signed up. Fuck you, man. Anytime, anywhere. The planet on which it takes place is called LV426. This is an analogy for Leviticus 426. Ready? Now, now, oh, my God. Before, before I get into this, we have to think about what this planet is. This planet is called uh, Hadley's Hope. The LV426, but the colony is called Hadley's Hope. Essentially, all the people there were sacrificed by the company Wayland yutani because they sent them out to go find the derelict spaceship, essentially knowing the aliens would kill them and there'd be xenomorphs running around. So it's a sacrificial Mm -hmm. planet, essentially. Leviticus 426 is, and I quote, and he shall burn all his fat upon the altar as the fat of the sacrifice of the peace offerings. And the priest shall make an atonement to him as concerning his sin, and it shall be forgiven him. Fucking A. So Leviticus 426 is about sacrifice, and this planet is a sacrifice. Oh, my God. How poetic. That is you exactly see, what it is. It is. And you see a lot of this type of stuff happen in particularly Ridley Scott's films, which I'm really at odds with. I don't know whether he's maybe a, a Christian who's battling with Christ himself or he's challenging God or he's someone who's trying to invert it all. I can't quite pick it as yet. I think he's somewhere on the borderline between shit i think he's perverting a lot of stuff but i think that he understands it and that's why he's doing it yeah i I think that's probably a a closer indication of what's going on it's just that a lot of his films especially the alien franchise that was developed from him the storylines that aren't even directed by him anymore they are very very old testament a lot Mm -hmm. of fire and brimstone type of theology going on in there Mm mm-hmm Five. We're on express elevator to hell. Going down. Two. One. And the little girl that they find in Aliens, I'm forgetting her fucking name all of a sudden. Uh, it's, so, it's, it's Newt. A, Newt. 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 So I think that her being the only survivor is also significant because... All the adults, everybody freaking died traumatically, except for this one little girl. And I, if I'm not wrong, they find her because the cat finds her. Like they are chasing the cat and the cat finds her and then they find her or something um, like that. No, the cat's actually back on Earth. Ripley leaves the cat for the first time, which is really compelling in itself because the cat's no longer there, there for her protection. And the mission just goes to completely to shit. Like... It, they've got all the best military, the best weapons, and they get decimated. Whereas a, a crew of regular space miners with no weapons lasted longer than what those tough Marines did. Maybe you haven't been keeping up on current events, but we just got our asses kicked, pal. So it's almost mm-hmm. like the cat not being there had an impact. Um, from memory, they track the girl down via the movement sensor and they find her in the in the uh, walkway. Okay, yeah, it's been a while for me, yeah. but it is one of my faves. 
It is, but you're right. The um, Newt almost represents the innocence of children and how children are protected by God and they may not be connected to the choices of the adults and those around them. There's another link to transhumanism and transgenderism in Alien. Uh, in Aliens. There's a conversation you hear when the Marines are at their at the mess hall and they're having a chat about all the places they've been on on station and places they've been on mission. They're talking about some Octurians. So during the Salako's mission to Archon, Private Rico Frost mentioned sleeping with an Arcturian on a previous operation. Private Daniel Spunkmeyer then points out to Frost the one he had was male, to which Frost responds, doesn't matter when it's Octurian, baby. Fuck. It therefore oh makes the God. assumption that Octurians are gender fluid in nature. They're ambiguous. They're almost, like an, almost like another gender ambiguous people but it gets worse this is official canon for for the story right this is in the novelization of aliens the octurians are a humanoid alien species they're not humans the octurians are a species native to octurus and they're the first alien species encountered by mankind and the humans created space trade through them it's predicted that they're the predecessors to humans they're almost identical but for a few cosmetic differences Octurians have pale skin, which is almost translucent. They have small noses, dark, large eyes, and are described as being stunning and graceful in their beauty. So the fae, the fairies, yeah. the, yeah. yes, yes, the progenitor race. Yeah. Now, how do you feel like that fits in with Prometheus? And well, I, I almost feel like, and the engineers or the progenitors, which are labeled later on, I almost feel like they're presented as Titans, not yes. necessarily the gods themselves. They have the level above the gods. And mm-hmm. essentially you can see other humanoid races they allude to, especially in the novelizations as being lesser gods. And then the humanity is another separate piece altogether. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because they're not they're They have a bluish tint, but they are fair. They and enlarged in stature. They're very fucking humongous giants. And when they find the cave paintings in Prometheus, there's like little tiny people, which are us. And then the engineers are these huge, massive beings. And if they, so they're saying in aliens that this race is part of the progenitors as well, that they're. It's assumed that this race are uh, progenitors to the human race because they're so similar. But again, they're the same height as humans, which is really interesting because in Covenant, you assume that David has gone back to the engineer homeworld, but I don't think it is. The race that you see on the ground, they're human-like. They do not look like the, the engineers exactly, and they are small in stature. It's almost like these beings have seeded multiple planets and created mm. multiple races. So it wasn't the OG planet. No, I don't believe so. And there's a hint at possible titles for future films, which might give an indication later on as to where this franchise is going. Let me guess. Tranny, Fanny, Bobanny. (laughs) Possibly. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. Uh, It's probably something like super esoteric, though. 
Very um, biblical, and we'll get to it in oh, a moment yeah. for sure. Prometheus and Covenant, of course. Yeah. Like the next one's going to be like Trinid, Trinity, and Beyond, or whatever. I don't know, but um, so we're ta- we're still on Aliens Two, Bill mm-hmm. Paxton style. Now there is a similar scene in like Star Trek where they're talking about going and visiting other planets and having sex with alien beings and stuff like that. So I I feel like it's always tried to be normalized that these ambiguous they thems on these other planets will eventually commingle with us yeah and they're they're really pushing the idea of that that commingling of humans with the other right like if you look through genesis and uh the early works of the bible there are minglings of humans with non-humans and that's how we ended up within the film right and these and these horrible creatures upon the earth so it's it's pre-tell. It's retelling that story through the lens of science fiction now. Mm-hmm. Was there and anything else the, you wanted to touch on with the aliens film? If you were gonna rate it one to ten, um, what's a creative thing? One to ten synthetics. I'm giving it. <laughs> I'm giving it eight point five synthetics. That's I'm gonna good. have to be. I'm a big fanboy. I'm gonna have to go ten synthetics on it. Ten synthetics. Hands down, I think it's one of the best action oh, films going wow. around. Wow. Yeah. No, I think it's great. I just wish they wouldn't kill Bill Paxton off. That's yeah, what right. takes the score down for me. He definitely should have lived. Trackers, motherfucker! Come on! Come on! Get it, baby! Come on! Get off me! Come on! Come on! Come on! Bastard! Come on, you two! Oh, you want some of this? Fuck you! Ah! Fuck you! And he's such a—he's a great piece of little comedy in that nightmare. Yes, he was a comedic relief. He was. That's it, man. Game over, man. It's game over. The fuck are we gonna do now? What are we gonna do? 17 days. Hey man, I don't wanna rain on your parade, but we're not gonna last 17 hours. Those things are gonna come in here just like they did before, and they're gonna come in here and they're Hudson! gonna come in here and they're gonna Hudson! get us. Hey, maybe it's like an ant hive. Bees, man. Bees have hives. You know what I mean. There's like one female that runs the whole show. Yes, the queen. Yeah, the mama. She's badass, man. I mean, big. These things ain't ants. I know that. I'm afraid I have some bad news. Well, that's the switch. Take a portable terminal, go out there and patch in manual. Oh, yeah, sure. With those things running around, you can count me out. Maybe we got them demoralized. Sure. Patch it! Yeah, all clear. Nail the other one. It's history, man. I say we grease this rat fuck son of a bitch right now. Just doesn't make any goddamn sense. They cut the power. What do you mean they cut the power? How could they cut the power, man? They're animals. Yeah, there's one thing I've got to point out with this film, though. We see in Alien and Aliens, we've got a multi-racial group of people, uh, multiple genders. Well, that's fine. It's It seemed normal in these films, but you look now at Covenant and Prometheus... It seems like the the woke agenda is pushed a lot harder in these for some reason. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Like and they don't I even they barely acknowledge it in the previous ones. 
Right. I have something heavy. I'm going to lay on the line about covenant here in a second going along those lines, but I do see where it's starting in the eighties, but they weren't ready to just like drop it fully down on mm-hmm. us quite yet. But yes, 8.5 synthetics on aliens <laughs> And I'm going to go five synthetics on Alien. I'd give the same on Alien as well, I think. It's, it sets it up, but on itself, it's not as not as good as Aliens. Not but as we, good. We jump into the 90s now for Alien 3 by David Flincher. Mm-hmm. This is where I start to see Alan Ripley as being the representation of Jesus Christ throughout these entire films. Um, she takes that mantle of Christ. She sacrifices herself by destroying the sin that's within herself, which is the alien. We find out that after she's got on the Sulaco and she's left to the LV-426, the sacrificial planet, that the queen has actually impregnated her with an alien. So she has (laughs) sin within herself and she recognizes that. And what does she throw herself into? Molten steel, which looks like lava. She literally throws herself into hell to kill the Mm -hmm. sin in this film. Yes. Oh my gosh. I'm so glad you brought that up. That's exactly what I thought. And furthermore, we look at this planet. This is Fury 161, which is the planet they're on, which is interesting because it's a prison planet or an ex-prison planet where all these men who have sinned have now become men of God and they're living as monks. And she's the only woman amongst them. So she's on a planet that's without sin and she brings sin to the planet. And she has to be the one to destroy it. And ironically, there's no cat in this situation for spiritual protection, but there is a dog, which is a protection in this physical world, which quickly gets killed and um, gestates the next alien in that film. Man, that was a toughie for me. I'm such a dog lover. Yeah, it's a Rottweiler too. I had one as a kid. I know. So it's it's rough, very rough. So and yes, it's this almost planet- like giving birth to the antichrist in some way it is it's almost demonic possession that it comes from within you and has to come out Mm -hmm. yes right so yes you've got these people who are no longer without sin who have become men of god living on this planet where it's almost like an inverted version of the garden with the serpent the alien is the (laughs) serpent it gets referred to by one of the crazy prisoners as a dragon (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and the planet is lifeless it's it's like a prison planet it's trash it's leftover stuff where they dump things it's the inversion of the garden of eden mm-hmm. and we see that the real time we ever see alan ripley sin she actually has sex for the first time on this film with one of the prisoners she has this hunk of a guy hudson who's a marine and a hero in aliens doesn't do boo with him she flirts with him a bit but she shacks up with this random guy on a prison planet So it's the ultimate sin of the flesh, which ironically, she's got the sin of the alien at the same time. Dude, that just boggles my mind. See, if I was her, I would have, I would have gotten jiggy with Bill Paxton, but (laughs) you know, if you can make a a lady laugh, you've won her heart. And so, but that's another point. I'm, I'm thinking that as we're progressing along alien aliens, Aliens 3, we're getting more into a spiritual type of flow, a more esoteric kind of flow, whereas Aliens was explosive. And that's why I Mm -hmm. love it so much. It's very explosive. But the third one, not as much. 
in my opinion. No, it's not. It's um, it's very self-contained, a lot like the original Alien in that way. Mm-hmm. It yeah, becomes and- more about the symbolism and the characters and how they drive the story opposed to the action of it. Yes, and it's kind of setting us up for the rest of the Alien franchise, I guess you would say, or Alien universe, because the Predator movie and i know we aren't talking about it but it it had the pyramid in it and hieroglyphics mm-hmm. and telling this story of how they came to be which doesn't really fit into the storyline with prometheus and covenant but it's interesting it is and we have to think about that the big change in the way the alien is presented between alien and aliens and alien 3 we know there were eggs and we assume something laid the eggs but we get the queen in alien 2 and she follows on through into Alien 3 with the, the aliens that are within Ripley. The aliens are a hive mind like a bee or an ant. And we know what bees symbolize in the Masonic Order. And mm-hmm. we see a lot of their bioorganic constructs of their nests as being very similar to what the ships were made of by the, the engineers. It looks very similar. You can mm-hmm. see that they're a bioorganic weapon that's been created. But even before we get that. the idea of the black goo in the later films. Even the thought of being able to spit in somebody's face and melt their fucking flesh off, that's a fucking weapon right there. Exactly. And how intelligent and smart they are. Fucking spit and just fuck you, buddy. And their fucking eyeballs just dripping out of their skull. And she eventually develops the acid spit. Was that in the third one? Uh, no, this is in Alien Resurrection, which we're getting to, which is becoming more and more biblical in nature, right? Resurrection. Yes. Okay. If she is, Resurrection. If, if Ripley is the the stand-in for Christ, she's she's the epitome of Christ in this whole film franchise. Alien Resurrection is the resurrection for her. She dies. She throws herself into hell, air quotes, to sacrifice her sin, which is the aliens. But later on, humanity gets DNA samples from her. Wayland Yutani gets it and ends up going to the military. And they try to resurrect the aliens as a weapon system for the armed forces. So the word rec- resurrection is right in the title. We know what it's all about now. So Ripley was previously dead, is now brought back and cements her place as a Christ figure. If Christ is God, as many people believe, and the xenomorph is Satan, then eventually the hybrid creature seen in Alien Resurrection is the Nephilim. Mm. Because oh, it's a mix shit. of a human alien DNA. Yes. And wow. it's towering. It's monstrosity. Yeah. So Ripley's Jesus in this story. I would say so. She's either a, she's a Ripley. Ripley is definitely a Jesus. And then I think that Shaw in the later Prometheus films is like a Virgin Mary. Oh, fuck. Do you think Ripley's soul has been corrupted by this entity being inside her well i think ripley if you're going off it from a christian standpoint ripley did the ultimate sacrifice to just absolve herself of sin and to kill off evil what's Mm -hmm. been brought back is not ripley and we see that we see her temperament her mannerisms she's very aggressive she's got a lot of traits from the aliens her she and herself as resurrected is in a film yeah, she, she could play basketball blood. real fucking yes. good out of nowhere. Like, bitch, you never played basketball before. 
Yeah. She was a kind, caring mother trying to do the right thing and she comes back as a bad bitch. A bad bitch. Right. As, as this alien. Yes. And I'm not going to lie and say that those scenes were kind of cool, though. You know, badass Ripley. But it's kind of going back to the episode we did about The Witcher where... As mm-hmm. you said, they're eclipsing and it's everything's gray. You have to become evil in order to uh, triumph over the greater evil. And that's just exactly what I'm seeing here. Yeah, they're trying to push the idea of you can go diet evil and you'll be okay still. <laughs> yes, that's exactly right. So this this film ends and it's never picked up again until he, the prequel series started to come out. They killed all the aliens off. They killed in a film. They suck it out into space like they do with a lot of the aliens in the franchise. And they land on Earth. And Ripley's there with another created creature, one of the synthetics. And it's talking about what's the future hold. And they say, oh, the future's up to us now. But what, you, what two things are communicating with each other is a created being that's not human and a semi-demonic mm. being because it's half alien. So they're deciding the future of humanity. They are the new demigods <laughs> of Earth. Yeah. Wow. So I'm actually going to give Alien Resurrection seven synthetics. I'd give it a 7.5. 7.5 synthetics. 7. 5 did we synthetics. rate Aliens 3? I don't think we did. I'd give that probably uh, a 5 as the original. I'm giving it 4.2 synthetics. Not a fan? Not a fan? Nope. I do like Resurrection and I like Aliens the best, but you have to watch all of them in order to understand what's going on. And if you skip around, you'll still kind of enjoy the movies but it makes more sense going in order. Now the prequels really threw a wrench into fucking everything. So yeah, is that where we're going now? We are. We're jumping into, we're going by release, not um, canon as it should be. But Ridley Scott came back on board in 2017 for Covenant. Again, it is another heavily biblical themed title for this film. Scott in this film, I think, is exploring the very notion of the Christian covenant and breaking it with God. I think he's arguing that humanity has run afoul of God and broken that covenant with him. And it's done by crucifying Christ. And he alludes to this in a couple of press conferences where the engineers were returning to earth to wipe out humanity because they killed their emissary to mankind. And their emissary was a half engineer, half human who they allude to as Jesus. That's what he puts it. So he's inverting the idea of Christ. Do you think that this was part of the plan with Ripley and the demon being? I think or- that was the idea. I think that's what he wanted that the idea for the franchise was by other people. Like all these other films were by other directors. So they took the main idea and they ran with it. And I think by Ridley getting back on for Covenant, he could redirect it into the way he wanted to. I think he always had the idea of this alien interventionist idea where aliens came and created mankind and he's pushing the idea that christ was an alien or a hybrid alien in itself this is his inversion of christianity it it really is and the idea of 
Like we know that they find the cave paintings with the giant people and the little humans pointing to, you know, come and find us. And they say that the last time these beings were on earth was 2000 years ago. Well, what was 2000 years ago around that time? The Christ being crucified. Damn. So in covenant, the, there's a lot of eerie scenes. And then I have my favorite catchphrase from Covenant, which I'll share with you. I'm first rating it 10 out of 10 synthetics. And I'm also um, going to say that the beginning of this movie is very ingenious to me. The creation of David. Yes. Oh, God. Sorry. We've I'm actually called the wrong one. Covenant is the second in his prequel films. We're talking about Prometheus, which in itself is very okay. Setting let up. me back up. Let me back yeah, up. Yeah, let's back up. So Prometheus, I'm giving eight synthetics. Yes. Prometheus is fantastic. Right. And and Prometheus sets up the idea of um that man was definitely created or helped by air quotes the gods. We know the story of Prometheus, the Titan which gifted man fire. And um Bishop Way- uh, Wayland. Uh, he tells that story at the start and there's a promotional video that went around before the film came out where he's telling the story of Prometheus gifting it um, technology to, to the gods and he's touting himself as being the new god because he's created David he's created life in his own image gosh it's so crazy and so, I sorry think- to listen as I jumped ahead there my bad I'm looking at my notes at the wrong spot <laughs> No, you're good. You're good. I'm I'm down for whatever. So Prometheus, the main character is uh sterile. Yes, she can't, she can't, can't pregnant. have children. Yes. So this is where the, the immaculate conception comes into it. She is the corrupted version of a Virgin Mary. Mm-hmm. And um, she's but, not married to the guy she's screwing. No, the sin. Yeah, there's sin there. We have to go back to the very start of it, though. It's it's a story about the Cabal. It's a man who runs Wayland Utani Corporation, the, the big, awesome corporation. It could be an Amazon for all we know, right? <laughs> the Cabal finds pre the pre-extinct human race that started humanity, these tall giants, which they call the engineers, and they find a message for a distant planet where they eventually launch a crew to go and find it. And the ship is named the Prometheus. Let me show you why you guys are here. These are images of archaeological digs from all over the earth. That's Egyptian, Mayan, Sumerian, Babylonian. That's Hawaiian there at the end, then Mesopotamian. Now this one here is our most recent discovery. It's a 35,000-year-old cave painting from the Isle of Skye in Scotland. These are ancient civilizations that were separated by centuries. They shared no contact with one another, and yet. The same pictogram showing men worshipping giant beings pointing to the stars was discovered at every last one of them. And the only galactic system that matched was so far from Earth that there's no way that these, these primitive ancient civilizations could have possibly known about it. But it just so happens that that system has a sun, a lot like ours. And based on our long-range scans, there seemed to be a planet. 
just one planet with a moon capable of sustaining life. And we arrived there this morning. So you're saying we're here because of a map you two kids found in a cave, is that right? No. Yeah. Um. No, not a map, an invitation. From whom? We call them engineers. Engineers? Do you mind uh, telling us what they engineered? They engineered us. Bullshit. <laughs> okay, so uh, do you have anything to back that up? No, I, I mean, look, if you're willing to discount three centuries of Darwinism, that's... Woo! But how do you know? Hmm? I don't. But it's what I choose to believe. Which, ironically, they were here 2,000 years ago, around the fall of Christ, all of that. The planet they go to, just like in the previous films, is designated LV-223. This links back to Leviticus again. Leviticus 223 reads, Say unto them, whosoever he be, all your seed among your generations, that goeth into the holy things which the children of Israel hallow unto the Lord, having its uncleansliness upon him, and the soul shall be cut away from my presence. I am the Lord. So clearly it's setting up that the engineers are paved about humanity and they're trying to wipe the, the slate clean. And that this planet, yeah. LV223, is a place where they were developing the seed of man's destruction, which is the black goo. Oh, shit. Didn't you feel like... Remind me how it opens. It opens with the engineer standing on the edge of a cliff over a waterfall, Mm -hmm. and he takes the black goo. Yes, he sacrifices himself. And he kind of disintegrates into the water, but then you see cells splitting and like in the womb, it kind of looks yeah. like as a human it's, being is forming. It's almost like the primordial ooze and it kind of pushes back to that scientism that all life started in the ocean or in waters. <gasps> and yeah. he's dropped his seed into the, into the waters of earth that's created life. And what do they always say about like the devil rules the sea? Exactly. Well, how much we're often concerned about looking up, but we're never looking down. Like what's in the mm-hmm. depths of the oceans. And and James Cameron does a lot of that with his films, a lot of water type stuff. Yes. Thank you. Yes, he does. <laughs> but you, you, you're spot on. It's all about the idea of humanity being created by something other than God as we know it. So it's that inversion that really Scott's trying to play. Mm-hmm. And it, it's so, attra- this movie is so attractive to people because everyone wants to know where we came from. Mm-hmm. So even watching the movie, you're like, oh my gosh, what if that really happened? And we could go to their planet and meet them. And it's always separating you from God that you've got to be frozen in a cryo sleep and go millions of light years into space to meet your creator and then you get there and they fucking hate you (laughs) that's right and we we know and we kind of find out why because we we would assume that you know 
their ambassador was killed off and crucified by the Romans. We've kind of gone over that. But we look at the idea of David, David being this creation of the Wayland Corporation where the whole time everyone else is in cryostasis, he's walking around, he's moving, he's learning, he's studying Sumerian, Sanskrit, Mm -hmm. Proto-European and Aryan languages. So it's already setting up that these, these entities I don't think he, they're trying to put it in the idea that because of Prometheus, they're like the Greek gods and they're coming from Mount Olympus. But I'd say they're Babylonian in nature, especially Ooh. if you look at that Proto European Aryan languages, which they're referring to that they speak and they do speak later on. Uh, they are yeah. very much Babylonian. David is too human and he makes mm-hmm. people uncomfortable, which I think AI is pretty damn close. If they made like a synthetic person and downloaded AI intelligence into them, I feel like we would have a David, actually. You can tell that he's attracted to the main character right off the top. Mm -hmm. He's, you know, monitoring her a lot. He's kind of vain. He likes to keep his hair in a specific way. And it shows him in the beginning and he's bleaching his Mm -hmm. roots. And yeah. Think think about that. That's very human-like to care about something like that. It is, but I'm going to challenge that a slight bit and see what your thoughts on this are. Okay. I don't I don't think that the the synthetics actually represent humans. Like it's not that humans became God and created life through the synthetics. What did God create before he created humanity? The angels, the ones that would serve him. You look at what the synthetics are like in nature. They are very angelic or inverted version of angels of what we see. The first few synthetics we see hate humanity. They try to Mm -hmm. kill humans. We see that in David. We see that in the very first synthetic. But then we get the synthetic bishop and aliens who cares about humans, wants to help them, does everything he can, sacrifices himself to save Newt. We see that, that diametric opposition. We see the good angels and the fallen ones. And that's represented through the synthetics. So humanity created their own angels first. And then what David creates is his version of humanity, which is the xenomorphs, the aliens, which are highly destructive, which a lot of people would say humans are highly destructive. Yeah, but they are parasites. Yes. And I think a lot of people need us to have more more of more of them exactly and i think a lot of people would say that um humans are parasites upon the earth a lot of the green agenda and world economic forum would say that about us but it's it's retelling the story of the bible of humans then become the gods that transhumanist um wet dream we create life (laughs) aka the synthetics and then synthetics create something that destroys their creator it's the story of the bible happening all over wow yes david is a psychopath he absolutely is. And we see that when we move into the 2017 Covenant film. And I got that right this time, folks. Sorry. So he followed up Prometheus with Covenant in which a, a colony crew of humans is en route to a planet and they pick up a, a signal from the planet that they arrive on, which David ends up going to with Shaw. And he absolutely decimates the population of this planet. And we see it. He uses the goo upon the people who created the air quotes. And he says a very, very interesting quote when he's releasing it upon them all ready to bow down to him thinking he's their gods returning. He quotes Ozymandias. Look on my works, ye mighty and despair. Which is 
the fact that he's quoting an Egyptian pharaoh who was Fuck. challenging his own gods in himself, he's doing that. He's challenging the gods he saw create humanity and he's getting the idea of I'm the new god because I'm killing the old. Fucking A. What a pompous prick. Because <laughs> in Prometheus, the engineer he wakes up, rips his fucking head off and mm-hmm. like destroys him and it was the doctor the human doctor that he Mm -hmm. had a crush on the whole time who puts him back together and he repays her by killing her essentially we won't get into how yet but he repays her with death he does um it's the the he still has no respect for humanity even after being saved by humanity nope none but just like a pompous ass, he <laughs> thinks that he understands what love is and what sacrifice is. He really is a pretentious bastard. He thinks he can comprehend how to love a human, but he has not the first clue what love all. really is. And it's interesting that in the fact of covenant, we see a second synthetic who is the same base model as David but has new reprogramming where they found out that synthetics were dangerous because they had the ability to create. And if they create, they had this edge where they wanted to kill humanity or kill humans in general. So they took this programming out of the new line of, of synthetics. And David, when he finds out this about his new brother, air quotes, he is absolutely appalled and disgusted by it because he does not have the ability to create. And what do we see in most evil representations? representations evil cannot create it can only destroy or manipulate yes or like pervert something that's mm-hmm. already perfect yeah, invert the the, the light that exists mm-hmm. the new synthetic is named walter that's it uh did you think it's this is just a side tirade but why do you think they paid James Franco to fucking be a two-second death scene? I don't know. In itself, it is, it's almost like that's a sacrifice in the film because he's consumed by fire. Mm-hmm. It's like that's the sacrifice for the mission. In order mm-hmm. for the mission to get to where it needed to go, someone had to pay the ultimate price. But I think Ooh. it's like in the name of just the, the actor, could have just been like publicity. They needed a big name person in it, but they didn't want to pay him the big bucks for the whole film. True. I know he's friends with the guy who played Tennessee, though. Oh, is in he? Real oh, that's life. right. They are. So maybe it's just a buddy buddy film. They, it's like, hey, my maybe. friend needs to Yeah. Now, if you think about it, if James Franco wouldn't have died the way that he did, they would have made it to Oregon Six. Mm-hmm. which was their, their initial planet. destination. But because there was this solar storm that knocked them kind of off course and they had a power surge, this leads to everyone getting woken up in an emergency type situation and James Franco is incinerated. But after they wake up, nobody wants to go back in the cryo chambers because they don't want to be turned into a shish kebab. So... <laughs> They decide, thanks to John Denver, to check out. <laughs> uh, what did they call it? Did they even have a name for it at that point? I know uh, that they found it, but they were like, it's L something 
the I, I, this I couldn't actually find because it hasn't been designated yet. So it's just a new planet for them. Like that Orgai Six was the planet they were going to. This one wasn't given anything because they get that distress signal, which they follow. Which ironically, this planet is more suitable to starting a colony than the planet they had. They had to terraform the planet they were going to. It would have taken mm-hmm. 60 years to make the air breathable. So they're going what? to this planet, already has higher rates of oxygen than Earth, has a biodiversity that's ready to sustain life. When they land the ship, they find crops of grain. Yes. Giant grain. Everything on the planet is larger than what appears on Earth. So much that it's you can tell that this might have been a home world or a world created by those engineers who are larger in stature. Grass is taller, grain, fruits, everything's larger than what it is on Earth. But it's a lot of those same types of biodiversity. Makes me think of what you said in the Witcher episode about the wheat. Yes. And how it's been bioengineered to, like, humans should not be eating wheat. No, there's there's always been a saying that the way that the elites or the kings and queens stay in power is they feed their people wheat because it has no nutritional value. It keeps their stomach full, keeps them happy, but doesn't actively help them rebel. Like, you need, you need collagen, you need fats you need minerals all mm-hmm. those things from meat create people who can think for themselves critical yes. thinkers if you're on weight and that's all you're eating you are dumb and you are docile which yes. lends me to the theory that this is a planet that's another colony of the creators because they've got weight there <laughs> and we see them they're shorter in stature they're not these giant hulking godlike adonises they're small just like humans are yeah the black goo actually turns them into statues as mm-hmm. well and when they're walking through the courtyard where all the statues are they're the same size as a regular human being so we know that they weren't the giants they weren't the engineers but they were kind of a offshoot of the engineers which yeah, is why like, they were so enamored by david coming back in that ship yeah it's almost like the working class they've seen that they're their elites have come back and that's why they're all coming out into that big town square as the ship docked and they're expecting their gods to step off and come back to them and boy were they in for a rude awakening (laughs) you get a synthetic asshole yes a fucking demonic synthetic and it's black goo of all things the things they talk about now in transhumanism biomechanical goo that can be program to do whatever you want Oops, and we're seeing that it in makes a bio me weapon. think of something the people that are on this planet that david and then later in covenant they rediscover none of them have hair they're no, all they androgynous looking mm-hmm. they look like the way humans are depicted in like ten thousand years how we're all like this they're very pale but like humans are always depicted as being bald and mm-hmm. yeah like you said androgynous you can't quite tell what they are yeah even the little kids are bald there's no mm-hmm. and they all wear the same cloaks so yes. you really can't tell male from female and then you drop in that bomb from the first or was it the second alien movie where it's talking about the transgender person yeah, yeah. it's it's like it's it's a a tale they're trying to say has been around forever which we know it's a brand new thing in the broad, the broad scheme of society. It's a very dangerous thing that we're tiptoeing around when we talk about playing around with people's genders, but they're pushing it that this is an idea that's been around for the longest time, probably because their God is 
a mixed sex entity. Um, <laughs> and this is what they're really trying to push. Yeah. So when James Franco gets uh, barbecued, his girlfriend is very upset and, you know, she's crying and she's going through her personal belongings um, and she pulls out a nail that he had given to her and she wraps like a little piece of cord around it and wears it as a necklace. Now, does that not look like a crucifix nail to you? Well, it does. And what was Jesus? He was a carpenter and a mason, right? He was a builder. Yep. And they were going to build their house, their cabin on this planet. Their log cabin. Yes. That's where I was going, you asshole. (laughs) Somewhere on this ship, we have enough wood and we have saws and we have everything to make a log cabin with our hands. And she said, now I just don't even know if it's worth it. And Walter's like, you promised to build a cabin on the lake and she's like all crying or whatever. And it's like, Walter can't do that for her. He can't create. He can only assist her in her creation. Mm -hmm. That's right. It's very servant. It's the servant change. It's a change in that. The other thing is, and I think this is what you're trying to get to earlier, where the crew is very, very woke and it's not just, a, a, a random workplace or a random crew of people that you have diverse walks of life. It happens in society. It's normal, but they push the idea. There's multiple gay couples. Why mm-hmm. would you be sending gay couples for a colony since they can't you actually wouldn't. reproduce? You wouldn't. You would not. And ironically, they're some of the first people to die. It's almost like they're being targeted for their sin. Mm-hmm. They're the first people to have the black goo inside them. And they, burst out the neomorphs which oh, is the, the sin on the planet shit. they are the first to go well the first guy that went was that one fucker so i'm just gonna tell you straight up why i give covenant 10 out of 10 synthetics is the scene where that little bitch pops the fuck out of that dude's back yeah very and he's very, all uh, like and it's like <laughs> fucking just blows his spine right out and again, even though it's different from the traditional chestburster, it's sin from within. It's the mm-hmm. sin is inside you and, and manifests outwardly. And you see that in the way people interact. If people are living with sin, they project they project that onto society and how they interact and they live their lives. This is just like the extreme version of that, where it physically manifests into an entity that it bursts out of you. Mm-hmm. And they contract them differently in Covenant than any other alien movie. In Covenant, you can be exposed to these little mites in mm-hmm. the air. And he actually steps on something that looks like a puffball mushroom. And these mites spray out of it. And he inhales them as he's smoking a cigarette. And within moments, he's got cold chills eyes are bloodshot he's sweating he looks like a freaking limp turkey leg and they're hauling him back to the ship and they quarantine him but what can you please tell me why she went into the quarantine bay with him i would have dropped his little ass off in there and closed the door and just saw what happened yeah she you would stayed so, in there you? with him yeah you don't know what if he's got contagious at all do you yeah, she was just breathing all over. Come on, stay with me, buddy. I'd be like, bye. 
straight to the incinerator for you. Yeah. Exactly. It's interesting that you would have noticed for a planet that's so rich in greenery, not once do you see a bird, a lizard, a mammal. There's nothing alive on the planet but the greenery. Mm-hmm. Which ironically I think is lending towards what the World Economic Forum and the real leaders of this world, air quote, want. They want to re-green the planet because they have this hard-on for like a Gaia god, right? This nature god. They want to wipe out all of humanity and just leave the forests and things and drive people away from what would be considered country regional areas into the big cities. Which ironically, where do all the people die? The big city on that film. Mm-hmm. Do you think that they're going to try to bring about the synthetics? I think we're technologically we're a while off, but we might see some intermediaries in the meantime of genetically changing people. Um, I think they're just in their infancy of doing that at the moment. They've probably been doing it for a long time with food and the things that we breathe, but with the turkey basters at the moment, that could just be the testing grounds of what they want to achieve. Okay. I agree with you on that because if, if there were more synthetics, there wouldn't be as much of um, a demand for certain things because they don't have to eat. They don't have to Mm -hmm. do many things that humans have to do. So if it was a 50, 50 split of population and like half of us were synthetic and half of us were human and we kind of coexisted amongst each other, I think that would be ideal for them. Yeah, and and we know that they kind of live off the suffering of humanity, whether that's financial suffering, actual physical pain and mental trauma. They need us for that. It's like they harvest that energy. And just like the aliens, they can't exist off a synthetic. They can't reproduce an alien on a synthetic. They need human suffering to keep their race going. Mm -hmm. So after a homeboy gets his back blown out by this little creeper thing, the ship blows up because she's shooting at it and fucking shoots something and it explodes herself. And then there is a scene where they're in the wheat field, the big aliens coming after them and they shoot a flare up and David finds the crew. The gay guy dies. I think Walter gets like his hand acidified and he has like a little nub yeah that's right he punches an alien he he did it to save the main character the the girl damn it what's her name oh i can't recall but you're right he the does short hair girl yeah he sees that the neomorph is about to attack her and he just punches it and that's what he loses his his uh hand from he punches it in the mouth and it bites his arm off or his hand and David tries to use this as an analogy to tell Walter that he loves her. Hmm. And Walter said, no, it was just my duty. Yeah, it's my programming. Mm-hmm. He, it's just my trying, programming. He's trying to thrust upon him. His, he's got this differing programming where he thinks he has emotions and he has what it means to be human. David almost tries to justify that he has his own soul mm-hmm. throughout all of these films. And he's trying to... F- voice that upon this new synthetic, which he can't do because it's not within his his programming. The most telling thing that, that just solidifies everything that you're talking about 
is the opening of covenant where we meet David for the first time. And he's saying, he's saying to Wayland, if you created me, who created you? And he asks David to play a song on the piano and he chooses the entry of the gods into Valhalla. Mm-hmm. And Wayland's like it's a little anemic without the orchestra and I was like oh it's a fucking blood (laughs) reference right there (laughs) but maybe I'm looking too far into what did you think about that that's spot on it's exactly what he's doing even a lot of the the cultural references that David has he's almost inherited it from his air quotes father that he loves the finer things of culture he's got the statue of David like he's bought mm-hmm. that. That's not longer and on display for everyone. He owns it. It's there. He's named after wow. it. I'm actually really surprised they didn't name this synthetic as Adam. And that's what makes me think they're actually angels and not so much humans. I'm surprised too that it wasn't Adam. I think that potentially if there are future films coming out, we'll see the first human born on the new planet and he will name it Adam and he might raise a human child around these aliens do you think david go ahead sorry because we know david at the end of this film he ends up being successful he puts everyone in cryostasis Mm -hmm. he pretends to be the nice synthetic he cuts his own hand off to fool everyone dyes his hair cuts it he gets onto the ship with facehugger embryos and he's got an entire series of embryos ready to start his own colony and a whole new series of experiments so naturally, I think he's going to try and create an Adam and an Eve. Do you think that he'll name it Adam, A-T-O-M? Possibly, yes, possibly. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, but he does. He fakes like he's Walter to get access to the ship, and he pukes up these embryos and puts them into cryo, and they're little fucking elongated skull motherfucker embryos and he's putting them into the cryo chamber and they're sailing off to the new world with them and just like everything else about these movies there was a scene where they're not quite sure about david yet they're kind of feeling things out but they need protection during the night in order to survive so they're allowing him to give them shelter in his little cave or whatever and he has a creepy moment with walter where he teaches him how to play the flute and then it flashes over and he's allowing these creatures to come in and actually feast upon the soldiers yeah they're, they're his creations he loves them and did you note the the part where they go into David's his like own little science lab and we have all those Victorian era style sketchings of all the various incartations and genetic experiments he's had and all the creatures he's tried to make while he's been on that planet. Yeah, it's creepy as shit. And do you know what he's made the majority of those creatures from? Insects? Shaw's ovaries. Shaw was a lot in the novelization. He kept Shaw alive in like a living death stroke pain type of a thing and was harvesting her her eggs from her ovaries and using her as like a, a biomechanical growing vessel for all of these creatures. Oh, 
My God. So it's the ops. It's completely the inverted, dangerous nature of having a a Virgin Mary who then becomes like the vessel for all these demonic entities. She becomes but like a Pandora's box. That's because they had to invert it, right? She couldn't give birth to mm-hmm. a human child, but they were able to use her eggs for something more nefarious. Yes. And she does get sacrificed. Think about that. Her sterile eggs are eggs that can't produce life. He was able to do so with these, air quotes, alien demonic entities. Wow. And he just leaves her wide open too. He slices Mm -hmm. her all the way down and just like a deer carcass. Yeah. And he there's this scene where one of them is kind of human like in appearance to me and it's all white it does have the elongated skull or whatever but it has almost like a human type face i'm guessing now it's because it was grown in one of shaw's eggs and he breathes on its face and says if you breathe on its nostrils it'll obey you forever and this is just so magical to him and uh, the prick guy who takes over for James Franco just shoots it into oblivion. He's like, pow, 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 pow. <laughs> and he's like, no. And but- then he lures that guy down into the den where he's got his first mate, his first alien egg, the one he's perfected. The facehugger jumps on him. Instead of a chestburster coming out, it's a fully formed mini alien and it comes out doing this like hail to God type of symbolism, like a Conholio from um, Beavis and Butthead. And it's like worshipping David as a God from the get-go. He comes out and it's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. It was kind of cute, but I would totally like just smash it. But my favorite line in Covenant came from the scene right before that where the main guy is talking to David and he's like, what does he say? Uh, something about I've se- I've met the devil before, David, and I'll never forget. And you better tell me what the fuck is going on in here before I fuck up your perfect composure. David, I met the devil when I was a child and I've never forgotten him. So David, you're gonna tell me exactly what's going on or I am going to seriously fuck up your perfect composure. And I was like, yeah, get him. But no, he he done got got. He's like, sure, I'll tell you, just look at this egg, this really inconspicuous egg that opens up. Just go look really close. I wouldn't have followed him anywhere, by the way. Oh, God, no. Just shoot Mm -mm. him up. He's a toaster for heaven's sake. I think I remember how it was. It was like, I met the devil one time, David, and I'll never forget what he looks like. Referencing, like, David is the devil. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. He's he's Lucifer, the light bringer, air quotes, because when does he arrive when the flare goes off? Yeah. A little piece of shit. So I think this entire franchise, the series that ended up being made from one Ridley Scott film, it's all the Old Testament vengeance. It's how humanity failed to live up to spiritual potential and how we refuse to be humble in the face of the infinite cosmos of space, right? Instead of being humble in the face of God, we're refusing to be humble in the cosmos of that is the expanded universe and our place within it. So he has this divine-ish type of beings 
come out and try to settle the score with humanity because we're we're running when we should be crawling. We're going out into space where we shouldn't be. And he's projecting this whole idea that we're being put in our place because we've failed what we should have been doing. Mm-hmm. And had to include the John Denver reference too. Mm-hmm. Little shithead. Now, do you think that it ties back in any way to Exodus, another of his movies? It does, but I'll quickly just go over the last few little uh, things I've noticed. Oh, yeah, yeah, please. So... The next four possible titles they'll be toying with over the next, up until 2030, ironically, Alien Kingdom is penciled in as potentially the next film. After that, Alien Armageddon. After that, Alien Rapture. And the last one to finish off his franchise would be Alien Salvation. He can burn in hell for those titles. So we can see he's just taking elements of the Bible and applying it to his inverted idea of how he's telling the story. I am so curious as to what the next few movies. It's it's interesting. He's going to have to do maybe one more prequel and then time jump to post Alan Ripley. So otherwise Mm -hmm. it's not going to make sense. And that would be Mm -hmm. really interesting in how he goes about it. He will have to make one where David lands on the new planet and starts yeah. impregnating have, the humans. Have his version of Eden. That's what it might be. Yes. Mm-hmm. I agree. I He's going to have to unless he splices it into like a split timeline where there's a little bit, half of the movie is the prequel and then it jumps to post-alien fuck resurrection or whatever yeah, that one was have to yeah be around that time frame wouldn't it mm-hmm. right, um symbolism is always a big thing so i had to really look at wayland yutani the w and the y so i don't usually do this because I, i'm not usually a numbers type of guy but i had to look at um hebrew geometry um and numerology w in hebrew is six y in hebrew is 10 which equals 16 so in the king james bible there are lots there's quite a few words that are 16 letters long, just a few, not many. And they include covenant break, covenant breakers as one whole word is 16 letters, which is from Romans 131. And this sets the scene for who Whale and Yutani are as a corporation. They are without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, incapable of unmerciful thought. <gasps> so it tells that us Whale and Yutani is the corporation from the get-go wow and they have all this advanced knowledge and technology they're way beyond what you and i would even imagine so do you think that actually in prometheus when he's woken up they've actually put him on fucking ice right until Mm -hmm. they get to the planet because he wants to meet the engineers what are your thoughts? They they say that Disney's frozen on ice. Like Walt Disney. Yeah, his head, supposedly. It's frozen on ice, just like fucking in Alien, uh, fucking in Prometheus. My bad. So they have this technology already. These movies prepare us mentally to be able to even conceive this new future. Yeah, and a lot of people seem to think science fiction is only pre-predictive of technology, but it's pre-predictive of 
what they want society as a whole to look like culturally and gender base wise we're seeing that through the alien films of the transgender transhumanism mm-hmm. push we're seeing a lot of control structures and the way humans interact being pre-predicted through these films I have to tell you straight up, Drew, and I'm not one to like diss my own uh, relationship or anything like that. But every time I see an interracial couple, it's not portrayed in a very good light. It's always a very feminine type of male Mm -hmm. with a very dominant female. And they almost make it to where it's like the men are just these pussies and these uh, like almost ambiguous in some way, kind of like this, this is how they portray it. And the guy in covenant, the main guy, the asshole that takes him to this planet is married to a black girl. And she pretty much is calling, she'll be like, Hey, do this. Or like, Hey, do that. Did you notice that? I did. I'm uh, I'm noticing it a lot in general that it's when it's a, a mixed race couple or an interracial couple, sorry, they have, like you said, it's a black woman with a white man and the white man is so effeminate, the black woman has to take the role as a man in the relationship. Think about that. That's not fucking cool because they, they honest to God, probably don't want there to be any purer type of races. They, and the way that they've been putting it into commercials is kind of creepy, to be honest with you. Even not even just black and white, like we're seeing like Asians and this and doing this and this and this. And one of them's got a gay bestie. And this is what they put on commercials now. They're yeah, trying to for- do interracial relationships or trannies or gay relationships. Yeah, pushing that agenda, that, what that social construct of society they want. That's what they're going for. And we see it all in Alien. Yeah, exactly. Interracial relationships, gay relationships, trannies. Is that a slang term, tranny? But yeah, I think it's the next step before they turn us into something that's not entirely human. It's like the stepping <laughs> stones. Yeah, so they're the next, they're the step before synthetics, right? Yeah, they're, they're building up to it. They can't just go, all right, let's turn everyone into robots. They have to yeah. get you okay mm. with the idea first. Mm. But yeah, I, I think it's like you said, we see a lot of these stereotypes in, in all of the alien movies, really, but it's this perversion yet again. Absolutely, it is. Now, Ridley Scott, as, as we've kind of alluded to, he's perverting and inverting the idea of the Old Testament. So he's really inspired by the works of the Old Testament. So much you could see he kind of had a break in between all these big alien films and he did he made exodus gods and kings gods and kings should give you an idea what he's really trying to go to when we look at gods and kings it is the tale of moses which a lot of us know about even if you're not christian you would know about that story i find it very interesting that a man who portrays himself as a good christian publicly air quotes his opening sequence has 1300 bce before common era and not before christ it's a biblical story and he can't even put bc in it 
I saw that. And I mean, the whole thing is, it was like watching 300 or something. It just didn't even, some of it was just shit he made up. But guess who? Sigourney Weaver is in it. Exactly. She's always with him, hand in hand. Mm-hmm. And Christian Bale. Yes. Who, Mitch. why, like, if you, Drew, let's just keep it 100, okay? You're making a Moses movie. Who are you going to, in your mind, going to think, ah, they make a good Moses? Christian Bale? It's because he went for the action hero, Christian Bale, right? He, they, Christian they didn't, Bale? And they, they really pushed the idea of Moses being an, an Egyptian general. So they wanted someone who was attractive. They wanted someone who was a bit buff who could portray that role. Batman? But he doesn't really portray the role of a, a prophet no. of God. <laughs> Not at all. Not even close. And actually, I think it's more of this um, taking biblical stories and not i hate using the term whitewashing but they wouldn't have been like they portrayed them in this movie that's where we differ i think that the original egyptians probably were more mediterranean than they would have been north african and in at least at least christian bale not not quite that white faced (laughs) um but they would have been probably more Italian, Spanishy looking type of Europeans, at least at the leadership structures. We know. And that you think they are... would have had a comb over crew cut? <laughs> Definitely Come not. Come on. They would have been bald like the fairies. That's what I'm talking about. Like though that he's he like modernized it too much. Yeah, he almost had a clip of fade. It looked that modern. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and he had like a, a freaking beard oil or something in. Yeah. I, I don't know. But yeah, it just was a little, it was a little too unrealistic for me. I think the cartoon Prince of Egypt nailed it more on the head than Exodus did. Yes. And it was more the point that they depicted... Like Moses is, was raised as the prince of Egypt, but he definitely looked like a Hebrew the entire time in this film. He didn't look like an Egyptian. He wasn't wearing the eye makeup. He wasn't. Um, he didn't have a shaven head. He was Mm-mm. dressed and portrayed as a Hebrew from the get-go. There's a few symbols I noticed early on in this that there's the entrail scene where they're trying to depict what's going to predict what happens in the battle that's coming with the Hittites. They're looking at the entrails and using blood magic to try and determine what's going to happen. And ironically, Absolutely. it comes true. Like, so they've used an evil magic or a dark art to predict the future and it comes true, which I think a lot of the people who run this world use the dark arts because it works for them. Mm-hmm. The seven uh, sacred sciences mm-hmm. that have been forgotten to us because they've been so convoluted. In my opinion, I think I think God probably taught the seven sacred sciences to Adam and Eve in the garden and they understood them. But then when they were cast out, Cain perverted them. And that's what we have today. Yes. And did you catch that the tribe of Israelites, or the Hebrews that are the slaves in this film are Canaanites? <laughs> yeah. So they're the tribe of Canaan, um, which they've been taken from anyway. 
there's a scene where they get their swords. The fairy gifts them each with a sword and they've got each other's names on them. And it's the first time they cross swords and it predicts, it foretells, if you don't know the tale already, that they're going to be adversaries in the rest of the film. They tap each other's swords. So, hey, there you go. Nice to meet you. Here you're going. <laughs> Just preempts it. It preempts that yeah. they're going to be adversaries throughout the rest of the tale, which ironically they're raised as brothers or cousins. They're very close, which ironically a lot of tales are about good and evil often early on have some kind of a relationship with one another. Lucifer was God's chosen angel, his brightest one. He fell from mm-hmm. grace. Did you notice that a lot of the heads of that statues in this, we know statues in Egyptian folklore, they're mixed animals, but the entire lead up to this pyramid, to the city, they're goat's heads, they're ram's heads. They yes. weren't lions, they weren't eagles, they were ram's heads. They weren't even like the classic sphinx lion heads or Anubis mm-hmm. type of dog heads or Horus eagle heads. No, 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 no. They were goats and rams. I don't even think Very, that's historically accurate, by the I way. I don't think it is either. No, I don't believe so. Because the ram is more of a symbol of the Hebrew people or the original mm-hmm. Israelites. Yes, it is, actually. That's why, like, when Moses went up to get the Ten Commandments, they built the golden calf and were worshipping mm-hmm. it and doing all that. That wasn't an Egyptian thing. Like, at, at all. Nope. It's very about So think about that. Mm-hmm. Did you pick up on the symbolism of Pharaoh's and Moses' armor at all? So Ramesses, in his gold, white armor, shown as the shining one, he had the serpent as his symbol. Mm-hmm. Moses, dark, muted colors, had the eagle as his symbol. What do we see in the esoteric symbols of the world and flags of the world? The eagle eating the snake. Yes. So even on the cover, if you, if anyone listening goes to watch this movie, you'll see exactly what we're talking about just based on the cover because they portray Ramses as this uh, more cloaked, white robed gold accented traditional Egyptian attire and then they have Christian Bale as Moses in almost a like a titan's outfit and the breastplate everything is dark it's black it looks very like a spartan type of deal yes he looked like a a roman spartan or a a roman legionnaire something like that Mm -hmm. again i don't think that's that's historically accurate but this guy does whatever he wants that just goes (laughs) to show you like he he literally just adds spices to everything he does he puts his he's changing things for i think for his purposes more than anything else i think this film in general was his way of refreshing his idea of of biblical scriptures and how he can use them in film especially Mm -hmm. for his later works with the alien franchise it's really interesting one of the lines that um ramesses says to moses at, at the early start he's caressing a snake it's around him he's touching it up and being weird with it and he gets a venom out of it and he says to moses you should try some a little venom in your blood is always a good thing. Mm-hmm. I think they probably really did that shit too. Oh, yeah, they did. I think they were snake charmers. and One of the very few historical things that I think they picked up on this, they did give small amounts of venom to themselves, thinking it would make mm-hmm. them stronger. Yeah, but it's also very spiritual. Yes, it is. 
taking something like that inside of you and merging with the serpent's energy. Well, venom is death, right? So you're you're putting death into yourself and trying to make yourself stronger from it, inverting what life is. It's the opposite of life. Ramses is the person who brought about in the Old Testament the seven plagues of Egypt. He is a death god, in my opinion, mm-hmm. because even God kills his firstborn son because Ramses is so hard headed that he does not believe in anything. He's like, oh, fuck you. What are you going to do? And Everyone else does the lamb's blood above their door. They're preparing for it. And death sweeps through like a silent whisper. And the the story to me is it's very tragic. But Ramses, I think, is kind of one of these harbingers of death. Yeah, he brings it about through his actions and he's his pig-headedness and his his inability to recognize what's before his very eyes. Like he sees these plagues happening and he keeps listening to his advisors. Oh, what we know about science is that frogs kick up um, (laughs) clay and they need to get out of the water and flies come from them when they die. He knows and he sees the things for himself, but he refuses to admit it because he's so happy with the fact that- Yeah, but he's the God as well. He, in his own mind, I'm the God. The Hebrew God is nothing. I'm God on earth, so I don't have to worry about anything. And it's just so poetic how he gets proven time and time and time again that he's worthless against the real God. Yeah, absolutely. We we also see elements of what we're seeing today with like population control, like the story of the slaves of Egypt is the ultimate population control, right? Moses, the only reason he found his way into the capital with his sister was because they were killing off all the firstborn sons to lower the population of slaves so they wouldn't revolt. And the viceroy wants to bring this about again when Moses goes to the um, goes to one of the, the capitals where the slaves are living. You know what the problem is? These people live too long these days. Each year, the death rate lags further and further behind the birth rate. These people reproduce like it's a sport. Well, if that's not an indication of how the elites feel about the average person today, I don't know what is. 100%. They actually are doing their own form of infanticide right now, I feel like, with a lot of these pharmaceutical treatments, in my opinion. Well, well, yeah, even on top of that, you take into account... um, the push for veganism. You don't have a, a second generation vegan. It doesn't happen. You need mm-hmm. the hormones and things from, from beefs and meats and fats to actually produce the sex hormone to have children. You need it. If you have entire, so if let's put it into an argument, it's like we were married and we were, ve- we were vegetarians or vegans. Mm-hmm. We then have a kid, first generation. That kid is raised the same way we are. They will not have the hormone levels to reproduce themselves. There aren't any exactly. second generation vegans. So that combined with the transgenderism movement, which in itself is sterilizing kids on masses, they've got a lot of population control mechanisms in place. That's outside mm-hmm. of the turkey based stuff. Right. And I think that it's not as simple for them 
to just do a mass infanticide like it was in the Old Testament. They could just knock on your door and be like, guess what? You're up and just kill your kid. But they, they're having to do it in a more, it it's more to do with like the technology of things. So it's not a brute force against us, but it's, it's bioengineering our food. It's a psychological operation. It's a spiritual operation. There's so many fronts that they're working on. Yeah. It's almost like they need that in the past. They could just do it because they had overwhelming force behind them. And now that they, they don't have the numbers, but they've got the technology, they have to do it in a, a more deceptive, secretive way but at the same time, they need our permission to do so. Mm -hmm. Whereas in the past, they could just do it. Yeah, there's been so many infanticides, though, to try to stop Jesus from being born, too, and that didn't do him any good either. Yeah, exactly. It's a a repeated story throughout Scripture of the prophets and throughout time as they appear. It started with Moses. Moses has a very similar storyline or history as Christ does they're both Mm -hmm. prophets of God and they mirror each other really well but Christ goes to that next level again above what Mm -hmm. Moses did Moses sets the template for the tribe of of Judah of the Israelites and Christ brings it to all of humanity beyond the chosen people Mm -hmm. but I think that there is a lot of black magic that we see in Exodus yes and this is where this is where I struggle. I'm sorry to interrupt you that mm-hmm. like a lot of my listeners know, I'm very new to looking through scripture and being a, a new Christian. And a lot of the Old Testament challenges me in a lot of ways, especially that you see, I would almost call the lamb's blood above the door as being blood magic. There's elements of it that challenge me somewhat. Um, that's a very interesting thought yeah I, I, that's just me that's outside looking in i look at that as being almost like a blood magic and i know that old testament and new testament testament there is a change because you know christ comes about and christ is built on love and understanding of a fellow man and old testament is very fire and brimstone but the idea of taking innocent children the firstborn children of egypt they they wipe them out that's I would see, even though they're Egyptians, I would still see those as innocent lives that are being lost. What if they were still co-mingling though and they had corrupted DNA anyways? Well, that could be it. I mean, think about that because the Hebrews are not going to be of pedigree to even be allowed to interbreed with the gods. Yes. So yeah. they were yeah, protected by the lamb who Jesus later became the lamb. Yeah. The ultimate sacrifice. So there would never need to be any more sacrifices ever. So maybe the story is more so the purity of the lamb and the purity of the Hebrews versus the corruption of the Egyptians and these gods. And that's where I was kind of leaning to that. We know that a lot of these ancient cultures were, influenced by the Nephilim or the fallen ones. That's how they created these monumental empires. And to the point that I don't actually think the Old Testament and the, and the book of Moses is actually referring to Egypt. I think there's been a miscommunication along the lines. 
because according to modern modern air quotes research the jews were never actually slaves in egypt but the jews were slaves in mesopotamia which is very close so mm. i have a feeling there may be slaves in babylon oh. which we know was a dark magic place and a place oh of fuck yeah ritual sacrifice and all sorts of business i think that's what it's leading to especially that this movie pushes the idea that slaves with pulleys and ropes built the pyramids i don't think that's how they were built bullshit either. Complete bullshit. They had way advanced technology. And they were also, they had soothsayers. Mm -hmm. They had snake charmers. They had these people who were magicians for the pharaohs. So they were so corrupted beyond your imagination. They, They thought that they were gods because they were literally having sex with hybrid people yes and 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 this is who the pharaohs were yeah and it makes me think that it's definitely a a babylon story instead of an egyptian story because you wouldn't give your slaves advanced technology to build things for you that they could turn against you so what were they slaves for i think they were slaves for blood sacrifice and slaves of the flesh more than anything else that makes a ton of sense because um i don't know if you listened to this episode but i had on gary wayne um and he talked about the nephilim and he said there was a reason that god called the animals to the ark by name because they were the species that he created there were so many hybrid type of beings and chimeras spliced beings and animals that they were part going to be part of the flood you know they were getting wiped out and when i look at egypt i i almost think that they were trying to recreate that and babylon too but they were trying to make these places of sacrifice and homage to their gods yes they were trying to go back to their golden age their age yeah all these horrific creatures and entities walking around through their own blood magic sacrifice and mm-hmm. intermingling creations. Mm-hmm. Which we see a lot of in Alien. Yes, we, it's exactly that in Alien. We see man trying to become God through their own creation of bioengineering, whereas in the days of old, it would have been the literal sowing of seeds into other creatures. So it doesn't surprise me at all that he would have made Exodus, to be honest with you, and that Sigourney Weaver was in it. Yeah, it's it's he's has the allegories of the Old Testament that, like I said, I think this is a refresher for him, his ability to tell the story he the way he wanted it to be told, and at the same time pushing to the community that he's a, a good Christian man, and I don't think that he actually is. I don't think so. I think he understands it but I don't think he follows it. Yeah. He's like, he's got, he's got the esoteric knowledge and he has the ideas and the belief structures there, but he's inverting it for his own purposes. Now, do you think that if we see another alien movie come out, do you think it'll be in the next couple of years? You think it'll be coinciding with something happening in our society that, prepares us for the next one um well we're in this weird timeline at the moment where a lot of theories and 
conspiracy theories and then a lot of world agendas all have 2025 and 2030 as key dates. Mm -hmm. So it wouldn't surprise me if we see a film released in 2025 and then the next few leading up to 2020 and uh, to 2030. <laughs> and I think it's going to be a lot around like that gender fluidity, the creation of, of life forms that aren't necessarily human or mixed human. We're going to see a lot more of that coming out. There is this show that keeps popping up as a recommendation for me on Netflix called Sweet Tooth. Oh my God. Yes. Have you, have you watched any of that? I watched the trailer and I, I thought of you when I watched the trailer, cause I felt like you would agree with me on what they're trying to do with that, but it's, it's everywhere. It's all the time, Drew. Mm -hmm. And yeah. they've made it cute. Like you would want to have one of these little bare-faced babies <laughs> or dog-headed babies and they're your buddies, they're your friends, but they're really the alien from Alien. Yeah, it's, um, it's for those people who don't know about it, it's based off a comic book series where a whole generation of children are born as animal hybrids and they don't know why, which ironically <laughs> that they release this type of thing as a, Netflix series not long after everyone's got the turkey baster and we may not see the and we may not see the impacts of this out people may still be able to have kids for this next generation but will their kids be able to have normal kids will that be the thing will they leave it so long after that people won't notice it anymore or have an understanding why it's happened oh my god I want to see it in my lifetime but I know that it's maybe it won't be in our lifetime Yes, that's the thing we seem to know. They've been playing this long game since time in memoriam and they're prepared to play, play it as long as they need to. They think in thousand-year segments, not in single lifetimes. Yeah. And I think in my family, because my grandpa was a Christian, um, he would say that, that he would see the rapture. He, he, he was like, it'll probably be in my lifetime. But then he passed away. And my mom was like, well, it'll probably be in my lifetime. And then my mom passed away and I'm like, well, it'll probably be in my lifetime, but it's really, you know, it, it could not be even in our lifetimes, but one day people will be looking for this episode and yeah. they'll be like, wow, they were really onto something. And that, I think that's the, the beauty of technology that's kind of got away from them. They've they've let the genie out of the bottle and they can't put it back in. There's that many people speaking about things and noticing things that are in popular culture now that we know what they're doing. We know mm -hmm. what they're presenting to us. We know what their plan is. It may not happen tomorrow. It may not happen 10 years from now, but it's going to happen because they're telling us about it. Mm -hmm. And it's just getting more and more in your face. Um. You've done such amazing research on this and I didn't want to interrupt you too much. Was there anything that you left out or wanted to cover before we kind of sum it all up? Um, no, I think that it's, it's it, at the end of the day, Ridley Scott's kind of got this view of the world is sinning in a certain way and he's trying to wipe the slate clean with his divine science fiction. He's trying to create a cleansing in his stories, but it's that inversion of what he defines as sin. We've got sinning characters and then we've got the average normal everyday person, which are the people that seem to be the targets of these, of these creatures and these entities. 
Do you think he sees himself as maybe even kind of godlike? Well, he's a director in Hollywood. I'd say definitely would. Yeah, right. He he creates so, worlds, doesn't he? In a film, he creates a world. He creates characters. He's creating life through his scripts and his and his his stage shows. Everything he does is is like his version of creation. But he's we know he's not creating anything. The entire Alien franchise is a retelling of the Old Testament. He's not re he's not creating anything. He's retelling things with his own spin on it. Do you think and I know he he understands occult significance because of what he's portraying in his movies. This is just my curiosity and and me wanting to ask you this. Something else that Sigourney Weaver was in would be the Ghostbuster movies. <laughs> and I mean they weren't supposed to be comedies actually. Yeah, they're supposed to be quite dark. Mhm. And the second one in particular is very telling. And did you notice how they made her a single mom? You never mm-hmm. know who the dad is. And the in oh. the first one, they talk about these ziggurats and Babylonian and Zul. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I oh, mean, Julia, we're going to have to come back for another episode with Ghostbusters, I think. I, I, just saying i think we have to now it's the perfect segue and it's sigourney weiner weaver in general sigourney weiner a great one um <laughs> very possibly <laughs> very possible with knowing what chicks are like in hollywood air quote chicks mm-hmm. she's in james cameron's avatar films that yes. she's always connected to these films about man trying to be god and we see that through both ridley scott's exodus and his alien franchise He's presenting the idea of man wanting to be God or be better than the gods. And whether that's ruling as a king or a pharaoh or it's through advanced technology and transhumanism, he's telling that story. He wants humans to think of themselves as better than the creator. Mm-hmm. Yes, and almost chosen. Yes, his chosen people or someone else's chosen people, which ironically is going to be the elite with money. Avatar, Ghostbusters, uh, Alien. I'm just going to throw it in here, but right before we wrap up and just see Sigourney Weaver. Movies. I would not at all be surprised if she has a trend beyond those three franchises. I feel like, I feel like, she probably does. So let's see. She's in a movie called Copycat. What is this about? Let's see. Um, she's like a a detective for murderers. Then we have Alien galaxy quest yeah that's another one (laughs) um let's see holes the disney Mm -hmm. movie you remember that shit i shia labeouf fucking a the village m night Shyamalan. Mm -hmm. uh happily never after 
Um, Wally, which is about so a little robot. Yeah, and people that have become completely connected to technology that they're reliant on it. That's the transhumanist pushing kids' cartoons. Baby Mama, that comedy with Tina Fey where she can't get pregnant. So she goes to the freaking uh, surrogates RS. Sigourney Weaver runs it. And she matches she's, people. She's, she's creating life. She's mm-hmm. that. So then that we have. Movie. Look at this movie, Paul. Look at the picture. Yes, Paul. That's another one. Extraterrestrials. Cabin in the Woods. I'm just going to go Cabin through in these the woods really is a quick. Big, big one. Yep. Red Lights. Um, a movie called Vamps. Very fitting. Uh, Exodus. Chappie. Uh, Ghostbusters. A Monster Calls. Alien. Why does it say Alien Covenant? Maybe she, she was. Uh, in- I think she was a part of the promotional side of that, like a, a producer. But I've got an idea now, Julia. Instead of going through its own Ghostbusters, do we both go away? We each agree to three, two or three Sigourney Weaver films, and we come back and we meet together in another episode presenting what we notice. Ooh, I already know what you're picking because you freaking love Avatar. <laughs> I do. <laughs> okay, so you can have that one. I'll let you have that one if I can have... Ghostbusters part two. Cool. Fine. Deal. Okay. Done. We'll talk Done about the rest of the deets. Uh, you can on. message me yeah. on Instagram and tell me which three you pick. So I don't pick the same ones. Sure. Or should Sounds we, awesome. should we just do it by surprise? And then we, maybe we pick the same shit and we find different stuff. Yeah. Let's agree to one. And the other two will be surprises. Good. I love a good wild good. card. So. Every time you come on, you bring such amazing research. And I just want to say that um, I'm very grateful for that because sometimes um, I would just prefer that you not fly by the seat of your pants. (laughs) (laughs) I learn something every time I talk to you. And that's why it's such a great episode. So we'll team back up for a Sigourney Weaver, but let's say this is the first time my listeners are hearing you on this breakdown. Can you tell the listeners where to find more from your Missing the Point podcast? Yeah, I'm Drew Missing from your Missing the Point podcast. You can find me on all the usual podcatchers. Uh, you can find me on Instagram under Missing, M-I-S-S-E-N underscore the underscore point. Um, I'm just throwing mostly memes up on there. I'm a serial meme poster. But you'll see my links to shows and things that I post up there and communicate with the listeners. Thank you, Julia, for having me on again for such a a small-time Aussie guy that's on the other side of the world. (laughs) It's absolute joy doing these movie breakdowns with you. I absolutely love films and be able to break them down with someone who's got a similar mindset and who's so invested into research like yourself. It's an absolute joy. Thank you so much. And we will be back maybe for the July breakdown with some Sigourney stuff, but thank you so much. And to all the listeners, thank you for listening and we will catch you on the next one.
Hey everybody, it's closing time. You don't gotta go home, but you can't stay here.